Chapter Twenty Two of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Looking for trouble. Before night, the Arrow outfit, led by Bothwell, the range boss, came into the ranch house. For the news had reached them, after the manner in which all news travels in the cow country by word of mouth, and they had come in, all those who could be spared, to determine the truth of the rumor. There were fifteen of them, rugged, capable-looking fellows, and despite the doctor's objections, they filed singly, though noiselessly, in the tailor's room and silently looked down upon their boss. Marion, watching them from a corner of the room, noted their quick gulps of pity, their grim faces, the savage gleams that came into their eyes, and she knew they were thinking of vengeance upon the men who had wrought the injury to their employer. Bothwell, big, grim, and deliberate of manner, said nothing as he looked down into his chief's face. But later outside the house, listening to Bud Hemingway's recital of how Taylor had been brought to the ranch house, Bothwell said shortly, I'm taking a look. Shortly afterward, followed by every man of the outfit who had ridden in with him, Bothwell crossed the big basin and sent his horse up the long slope to the big house. Outside, they came upon the bodies of the two men with whom Taylor had fought, and inside the house they saw the other huddled on the floor near a door in the big front room. Silently, the men filed through the house, looking in to all the rooms and noting the wreck and ruin that had been wrought. They saw the broken glass of the little window through which one of Carrington's men had fired the first shot. They noted the hole in the ceiling caused by a bullet from Taylor's pistol, and they saw another hole in the wall near the door beside which Taylor had been standing just before he swung the door open. Three of them and Carrington according to what bud says said bothwell that's four he smiled bitterly they got him all right almost i reckon but from the looks of things they must have had a roaring picnic doing it not disturbing anything the entire outfit mounted and rode swiftly down the dawes trail their hearts swelling with sympathy for taylor and passionate hatred for carrington itching for a clean-up as one sullen-looking man of the outfit described his feelings. But there was no clean-up. When they reached Dawes, they found the town quiet, and men who saw them gave them plenty of room and forbore to argue with them, for it was known that they were reckless, hardy spirits when the mood came upon them, and that they worshipped Taylor. And so they entered Dawes, and Dawes treated them with respect. Passing the city hall, they noticed some men grouped in front of the building, and they halted, Bothwell dismounting and entering. "'What's the gang collecting for?' he asked a man, whom he knew for Danforth. There was a belligerent thrust to Bothwell's chin, and a glare in his eyes that, Danforth felt, must be met with diplomacy. "'There's been trouble at the Huggins' house, and I'm sending these men to investigate.' 
"'Give them digging tools,' said Bothwell grimly. "'And remember this. "'If there's any more herd riding of our boss, "'the Arrow outfit is starting a private graveyard.' "'He pinned the mayor with a cold glare. "'Where's Carrington?' "'In his rooms, under a doctor's care. "'He's hit bad, a bullet in his side.' "'Ought to be in his gizzard,' growled Bothwell. "'He went out, mounted, and led his men away.' They were reluctant to leave town, but Bothwell was insistent. There ain't no fight in that bunch of pug uglies, he scoffed. We'll go back and tend to business and pull for the boss to get well. And so they returned to the Arrow to find that the Dawes doctor was still with Taylor. The doctor sent out word to them that there was a slight chance for his patient, and satisfied that they had done all they could, rode away to attend to business. For the first time in her life, Marion Harlan was witnessing the fight of a strong man to live despite grievous wounds that, she was certain, would have instantly killed most men. But Taylor fought his fight unconsciously, for he was still in that deep coma that had descended upon him when he had gently slipped to the ground beside the house, still fighting, still scorning the efforts of his enemies to finish him. And during the first night's fever, he still fought. The powerful sedatives administered by the doctor had little effect. In his delirium, he'd muttered such terms and phrases as these. Run, damn you, run. I ain't in any hurry, and I'll get you. And... I'll certainly smash you, and... A thing, huh? I'll show you. She's mine, you miserable whelp. Whether these were thoughts or whether they were memories of past utterances made vivid and brought into the present by the fever, the girl did not know. She sat beside his bed all night with the doctor near her, waiting and watching and listening. And she heard more. That's Larry's girl, and it's up to me to protect her. And I knew she'd look like that. Also, they're both trying to send her to hell, but I'll fool them. At these times, there was an effable tenderness in his voice. But at times, he broke out in terrible wrath. Ambush me, eh? Huh? <laughs> that was right. Clever of you, Spotted Tail. We didn't make a good target, did we? Only for your sense we'd have. He ceased. To begin anew... I got you, damn you. And then he would try to sit erect, swinging his arms, as though he were trying to hit someone. But toward morning he fell into a fitful sleep, the sleep of exhaustion. And when the dawn came, Mrs. Malarkey ordered the girl, pale and wan from her night's vigilance and service, to go to bed. For three days it was the same, and for three days the doctor stayed at the side of the patient only sleeping when Miss Harlan watched over Taylor. And during the three days' vigil, Taylor's delirium lasted. The girl learned more of his character during those three days of constant watchfulness than she would have learned in as many years otherwise. That he was honorable and courageous, she knew, but that he was so sincerely apprehensive over her welfare, she never suspected. For she learned through his ravings that he had fought Carrington and three men for her. 
that he had deliberately sought Carrington to punish him for the attack on her, and that he had not considered his own danger at all. At the beginning of the fourth day, when he opened his eyes and stared wonderingly about the room, his gaze at first resting upon the doctor and then traveling to the girl's face and remaining there for a long time, while a faint smile wreathed his lips. The girl's heart beat high with delight. "'Well, I'm still a-going it,' he said weakly. "'I remember,' he went on musingly, "'when they was handing it to me, I was thinking "'that I was in pretty bad shape, "'and then they must have handed it to me some more, "'for I quit thinking at all. "'I'm going to pull through, ain't I?' "'You are,' declared the doctor. "'That is,' he amended. "'If you keep your trap shut and do a lot of sleeping.' "'For which I'm going to have a lot of time,' smiled Taylor. "'I'm going to sleep, so I feel mighty like sleeping. "'But before I do any sleeping, there's a thing or two I want to know. "'Did Carrington's men, the last two, get away, or did I?' "'You did,' grinned the doctor. "'Bothwell rode over there to find out, and Malarkey saw them. "'Malarkey brought you back and got me.' "'Carrington?' inquired the patient. "'Malarkey saw him.' He says he never saw a man so beat up in his life. Besides, you shot him, too, in the side. Not dangerous, but a heap painful. Taylor smiled and looked at Miss Harlan. I knew you were here, he said. I felt you near me. It was mighty comforting. And I want to thank you for it. There are times when I must have shot off my mouth a heap. If I said anything I shouldn't have said, I'm a whole lot sorry and I'm asking your pardon. You didn't, she said, her eyes eloquent with joy over the improvement in him. Well, then, I'm going to sleep. He raised his right hand, his good one, and waved it gaily at them, and closed his eyes. End of chapter 22